salutations on this fine day as we have a great episode ahead, Joseph, a great one of this, the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic guy. My name is Jason Luber, and I'm the Denver 7 traffic anchor. I'm Joseph Peters, producer and pedestrian advocate for Denver 7. I'm sure that <laughs> Oh, now for Denver 7? Yeah. <laughs> is, is this, you've added this to your business card? That's I, I actually just ordered business cards, and I did put a pedestrian advocate on there. So <laughs> You're going to put that on, on your resume, lookout. too? Yeah. Well, I mean... Why not? you got to own I put it, food, right? I, I, put, I, I, I still have a food handler service. Service card, so I put that on my resume. Do you have to get that renewed? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. That... Oh man! Well, I saw this pop in our email this week. A downright scouring of Denver's own Frontier Airlines. I've flown Frontier. I used to love Frontier. They have gone a bit downhill. It's from the Onion, so I don't know how to take it, Joseph. And it has some bad language, so I will bleep that out. That's unfortunate. Yes. This is what it says: Dateline, Denver. Noting that some discomfort should be expected while traveling to a faraway place in just a few hours, officials from ultra-low-cost carrier Frontier Airlines reportedly told customers Thursday to just f***ing deal with it. Quote, I get that you're cramped and miserable, but if you just shut the hell up and sit there for a few hours, you'll soon be at your destination. Unquote, said CEO Barry L. Biffle, urging passengers to suck it up and quit whining so the flight could get on its merry f***ing way. Quote, Who gives a shit if you have no leg room and the seats are stiff? Soon you'll be 800 miles from where you are now, and it'll be like the last two hours of your life never even f***ing happened. You're the ones who wanted to save $150, so you're welcome, assholes. Unquote. Biffle added that he didn't want to hear any bitching and moaning about wanting in-flight food options because everyone can just stuff their stupid faces when they land. (laughs) Bravo. Bravo. (laughs) Isn't that true, though? The sad part about this scouring is that it's really not far far off from the way that this ultra-low-cost airline really treats people. No, they're not. Do you you recall, uh, I believe it was... Last Christmas or two Christmases ago, Frontier Airlines, it was last Christmas, Frontier Airlines lost a whole bunch of luggage because of a snowstorm, and they yep. had to juggle people around and whatnot. And so we asked them, do you think that this issue will affect your business going forward? And their spokesperson's line was, well, we still offer lower prices than everybody else, so I can't imagine we're going to lose that much business over this. <laughs> See? I mean, it's true. I would still... If you told me I can ride an uncomfortable frontier, uncomfortable spirit with seats that are worse than bus seats with no padding and no legroom where my knees are knocking into the metal back of the seat behind me, but I can get to Boston, Massachusetts for $300 versus 600 flying American Airlines, boom, spirit every day. Yep. I mean, you're right. Every person on those flights made the conscious choice to buy their tickets willingly. They did. The most important part of the flight is, is a safe arrival at your final destination, right? I mean, all the other stuff. To make it more comfortable is just an added bonus. It's not required for the task at hand, which is flying a large aircraft full of humans from one city to another safely. Can I also say it is sad when Greyhound buses have more amenities than airplanes, (laughs) yet that is where we are as a society. I swear to God, the last time I was on a Greyhound bus, this has held true for a few times now, you can plug in your devices, Uh there's little power outlets right there, there's free Wi-Fi on there, free Wi-Fi, not $9 Wi-Fi. I recommend Greyhound to everybody. There you go. I I like Southwest Airlines if I'm going to fly. Uh, and some of the perks that they have. The last time I flew first class was on my honeymoon, and it was after they offered us the upgrade for 50 bucks. 
and I think it was on it was it wasn't on one of the major carriers. It was one of the lower ones. So it was just basically where you could sit in the front and your and your leg room was a little bit better. Right, you get the seat that you would have gotten and normally gave, on American Airlines. And because we were flying from Miami to Puerto Rico, they gave us drinks. So we were on the first class. So that you can't beat that. That was nice. The last flight I took was on Frontier, actually, and it was out of Colorado Springs. I flew down to to Florida to help my brother out for a few days, and they had this outbound flight listed at just thirty bucks. I mean, it was thirty bucks. Cost me another twenty five to get my carry on bag on the plane. Uh, So my flight going there was just fifty five bucks. So I got what I expected. I got to see it on an airplane that, that that well, unfortunately, it did take off. A couple hours late, landed in Orlando just after midnight. You know, I tried to sleep in the terminal there at the Orlando airport. I, I've done this in the past where I've had to sleep at airports, right? But I, I found this really quiet, secluded spot there in the airport. But they were blasting their classical music. They were just blasting it really loud. And then every half an hour, they had this time check that was broadcast over the PA system. It would say, like, the current local time is 2.30. Thanks. That's what I wanted to know. Perfect. It just shot up already. I'm trying to sleep. It's true. When we were on a layover at the D.C. airport, we were there from midnight to 6, and we were trying to catch some sleep. And I don't understand why they need to vacuum that much that time of day. Because it was like the man was coming around with a vacuum cleaner every 30 minutes to wake up my wife. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm there playing my Game Boy trying to figure out what to do next. I think all those things are just a deterrent to keep people from sleeping on a, on the floor at the airport. Right. Go get a, a hotel room, cheapskate. Yeah, but, that, but that's the thing. Why would I want a hotel room for just a couple of hours? I, I'm not going to pay for just, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess they have those on East Colfax, but that's not the kind of place that I want to stay for just a couple hours of rest. When I'm, I have a late flight. They do have those on East Colfax. Yeah, I can't imagine trying to clean up one of those places. I mean, imagine that. Yeesh. I mean, I think Frontier really is just trying to turn their image around, but it's going to take a lot of time, and it's going to take a lot of forgiveness from the traveling public, especially here in Denver, where Frontier used to be the number one airline, but not anymore. And I don't know how what they can do anymore to to make the traveling public like them again. I mean, I don't think the traveling public cares. I think a lot of them feel the same way I do, whereas I'm going to go with the best price, and I, I don't really care what the accommodations are. I think there's very few people that have the means to be able to pay for quality when it comes to airplane flights. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the worst day to be a chambermaid, February 15th in Las Vegas. Think about it. Here's reason number one not to ride on public transportation, <laughs> Joseph. Parts of you'll 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 get that eventually. I got you'll, it. You'll, you'll, oh, okay. <laughs> <Don't worry>. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of the London Underground will be deep cleaned every night after a dangerous superbugs were discovered. Industrial vacuum cleaners and magnetic wands will be used each and every night during the summer to remove metal particles, dust, oil, and grease from around fifty stations and five tunnels. It comes after researchers at London Metropolitan University found. Get this. 121 different types of bacteria and mold on the trains. 121. No surprise. Eight of the bacteria discovered were found to be among the most threatening to human health. Eight. With the Victoria Line deemed to be the dirtiest. I have not been on the Victoria Line, nor do I think... I ever want to be. Our global listeners may be more familiar with that. Nine of the world's deadliest superbugs have been found on the London Underground. The movement of trains along the rail lines, air ventilation, and skin particles from passengers, they say, all contribute to dust on the network. Yay. 
that's why they use those patterns, right, to distract you from the bugs that might be living in the patterns on the seat cushions. That is just gross. Yeah. 121 different types of bacteria? I mean, do you have enough hand sanitizer to, to clean yourself off? I mean, they should be deep cleaning it every night, right? What was the deep cleaning schedule like before this to let it get to this point? Uh, obviously not enough. Mm-hmm. Our smartphones, you know, they can control just about everything. So why has it taken so long to get a smartphone connection to control your garage door? Why has it taken so long? The long drought, Joseph, thankfully, is over. As the perfect solution finally exists, and it only costs about 100 bucks. They call it the Chamberlain MyQ Garage, and it's a two-piece solution. They say it's compatible with uh, any garage door opener you already have. And anyone can install the d- device, they say, in just a few minutes. It's compatible with your iPhone and your Android. And here are some of the highlights from the product page. You can monitor, open, and close your garage door from anywhere with your smartphone. Choose to receive alerts and notifications on your smartphone when your garage door opens and closes. Works with both brands of garage door openers made after 93 that have the standard safety sensors. Installs in minutes and works with your home Wi-Fi system via the free Chamberlain MyQ Garage app. Included the Wi-Fi hub, power cord, mounting bracket, door sensor, instructions for free download apps. Chamberlain, if you want to buy, do an ad buy, we are always open for business. I'd also like to point out, so you could see this technology working at, like, apartment complexes, hotels, yeah. basically anywhere, right? Right, sure. Or if you're in Cancun and you just want to have your garage door going up and down and just freak out the neighbors. Right? No? You have to be in range, right? You can't. No, you can do it if you have the app and you have Wi-Fi. You just it's like anything else. It's like your nest system where you're anywhere with your with your phone and you have the app and bingo, your garage door. I could right now if I had this connected in my house, I could open and close my garage door and my wife would freak out. I feel like you're the kind of person that would have some setup like this at your house, but not for the garage door for like Christmas lights, so that in the middle of December, while you were out of town, you could freak out the neighbors by playing loud music like the Carol of the Bells with a Christmas light display going in unison. <laughs> just out of the blue at ten o'clock. I at do night. have the Christmas lights though. I do put them up early. Like the day after Thanksgiving. Respect. And I then plug them in and I put the timer on so it comes, so I have it timed exactly right at, do, right at uh, sunset and then they go off, I don't know, 2 a.m. or so. But do you have a light show that's synced to music? No, I don't. Someday. Uh, I don't know. That's just a lot of work. And I, I Maybe your kids will get into that. I, you know what? I would like it, but I don't want to do it. I would pay somebody else to do it, but I don't have the money to pay somebody else to do it. You could just nudge Jay Lynn towards engineering, right? And yes, make her I want could. to put together something like that. That's exactly right. Uh, you know what? We, you, do you remember that we did, ran a story about – this was making me think about the garage doors where the thieves are breaking into garage doors yes. with a coat hanger. And what they do is they, there's that little rubber molding at the top, and they just lift up that little piece of rubber, and they take the garage door or the uh, coat hanger and, and slip it into that emergency latch. They, they yank it down, and then they can have free rain there into your garage. Right. I actually heard of somebody doing that. They went and triggered the alarm for the house. The cops – they were just hiding in the garage. The cops came, searched the house. They saw the garage door was down. They saw the house was locked. And so the cops left. And then the people went into the, into the house and, and then robbed the house. Terrible. So I got a, actually, I, which is unlike me, I got a little paranoid. And I took one of those little zip ties and I put them into there's a little hole there that yes. you would have got a hook. And so I did the zip tie thing. And now it's up there. And, and so you can't do that to my house. But let's be realistic here. If you have a smartphone app, I would argue that that's easier to hack into because that requires some sort of software knowledge. I doubt Chamberlain's 
cybersecurity program is that robust that a hacker can't get past it pretty easily and get into your remote, right, and start putting your garage door up and down. And I would argue that that's probably an easier proposition than trying to jimmy a coat hanger into the emergency latch (laughs) to get into your garage. I don't know. If you've seen the YouTube videos, they're doing it in like 20 seconds. Well, that takes practice, right? And what are you getting, like spare tires and some wrenches? Well, not if you have access, because like if you go get into my garage, then the door from the garage into the house is is unlocked. That's okay. That's so, true. and, and I, most people are like that. I would agree with that too. You're absolutely right. My parents' house, don't ever rob it. Or or that, <laughs> or your the car, uh, the my car keys are in the car with the car in the garage, right? And so you just open up the garage and then off you go with the car. I think you have to change your habits after this podcast goes live. Probably so. Uh, All right, so here's a problem for many cities. Delivery trucks that double park in the streets and block traffic. I recently wrote a story. You can read it on our website. It's called thedenverchannel.com. I know it's ridiculous. You can also search Google for KMGH, and it'll it'll pop up, too. I thought the Denver Channel was great branding. Really? throwing it out there. I'm done now. Just go to the traffic section and look for it. The time you'll see traffic, and then look for driving you crazy. And my, my story was on how delivery trucks routinely are blocking the bike lanes in Denver on this bike to work day, it's happening a, a lot. And one of the pictures I got from somebody showed a Denver right away vehicle, one of the enforcement vans parked right there in the bike lane. Anyway, Inga Safran, she's a reporter with the Philadelphia Inquirer, and wrote a story called How the Delivery Economy is Disrupting Philadelphia's Street Grid. And the story starts out by saying it was a typical Friday morning on 7th Street in Philadelphia's Jewelry District. A delivery truck from Flying Fish Brewery pulled into the left lane next to Jones, the retro diner at the corner of Chestnut. Minutes later, a FedEx driver eased in behind him. A second beer truck soon joined the parade just below Sansom Street, and the driver began unloading kegs. Balancing a metal barrel on his shoulders, he did a nimble do do across the street and deposited his cargo at the door. Meanwhile, traffic on 7th Street came to a standstill. Welcome to the delivery economy where anything can be bought and brought to your doorstep. The price of that convenience, we're learning, is a dramatic increase in traffic congestion as thousands of delivery trucks fan out through Philadelphia's narrow colonial-era streets. Because so few of the city's buildings have internal loading areas, drivers have no choice but to park at the curb, even if that means stopping traffic. On a typical day in Philadelphia, nearly 18,000 deliveries and pickups occur within the city center's four main zip codes. The numbers are only going to keep growing. In 2014, one in ten people were receiving an online package every day. On top of that, more people are demanding same-day or next-day deliveries. The congestion unleashed by the delivery economy is just one of the more visible examples of how technology is altering the way we interact with the city. As more retail stores disappear and more consumer goods are delivered to our front doors, how long will it be before a fleet of trucks make our streets impassable and can we do anything now to prevent crippling gridlock? I think an easy one would be, in Philadelphia specifically, you put the delivery drivers on bicycles. Especially if it's these personal deliveries that aren't taking up too much time. I'm looking at you, Amazon. Amazon, most of their stuff can be done with bicycles. That's why I thought it was such a weird example to use at the beginning. Because you're talking about somebody who's delivering kegs to a restaurant. That's something that's been happening for decades now. This isn't something that's new. What's new is people who are using Amazon to order a new romance novel every day. <laughs> 
Traffic congestion isn't the only downside of the delivery economy. Parked trucks can reduce visibility for other drivers and greatly increase the danger to pedestrians and bicyclists. SEPTA buses, that stands for the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, uh, are already having a hard time sticking to their schedules because of the volume of Uber, Lyft, and taxi drivers prowling the streets. When delivery trucks park near corners, they compound the problem by making it more difficult for buses to turn. Bicyclists are also affected. So many city bike lanes are now blocked by vans and trucks that the spaces really ought to be renamed delivery lanes. It seems like there are always two trucks per block, complained Eric Guerrera, a pen design planning professor specializing in transportation issues who regularly commutes on Spring Garden Street's bike lane. Giving out parking tickets doesn't seem to be a deterrent, he said, because the delivery services have already built the penalties into the cost of doing business. Well, and it's hard to get the ticket to those drivers in the first place because if somebody's parked in a bike lane and a bicyclist rolls up on it, what are they supposed to do? Stop and call 311? That's not really feasible, and they certainly can't make a cell phone call while they're riding their bicycle, so it just goes unreported. Well, and that's what Denver told me is that they said just call the 311 number. Their right-of-way enforcement people would be out, but by then, I mean, the deliveries don't last that long usually. Exactly. They'd be gone. Inga Saffron, the reporter with the Philadelphia Inquirer, she continues saying the easiest way for cities to reduce traffic congestion is to shift those deliveries from standard business hours to the evenings. Ironically, Philadelphia's parking signs have posted delivery hours and they're usually in the morning. Mandating night deliveries, especially for drugstores and high volume stores like Target, could not only reduce congestion, but also save energy. Some suggest the city should establish, quote, break bulk sites on the periphery, where deliveries could be sorted into smaller, more manageable vehicles, including bicycle-powered ones, if the city could also persuade various delivery companies to cooperate, the cargo could even be organized geographically, further reducing the number of delivery trips. Eventually, there would be more centralized delivery points in the neighborhoods, like Amazon lockers, to reduce the volume of house-to-house drop-offs. One of the big debates that freight specialists are having is whether traffic congestion will eventually level off once most of our consumer acquisitions migrate to the web and we stop using our cars to shop. Will we still run out to the grocery store for a quart of milk? For me, yes. It is an interesting story, and she makes a lot of good points. Look, I can buy just about anything I want on Amazon. I even just started using Amazon Pantry for the first time because now they have it in our area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still, even though the potato chips that came, they, they were a little smashed. My problem with Amazon Pantry is that they never get the produce or the meat department stuff right. It always comes in at like – I always wind up with either moldy strawberries or they give me the prepackaged like portioned frozen chicken instead of the ones that come in the big containers. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to do any that. kind of live stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, that's what I'm saying, man. I, I'm still not there with Amazon That's Pantry. why I still have reasons to go to the grocery store or over to Sam's or Home Depot like I did at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, it's really hard to sleep when you have a schedule like ours and you get up for work every day at 2.20 in the morning. I mean, you know that. I want more 24-hour shops in Denver. That was the point I was going to make. There's not enough 24-hour stuff in this city in particular. Maybe it's because I come from Las Vegas before this where, like, everything's 24 hours. A grocery store, convenience stores, et cetera. But it feels like in this city specifically, it's very hard to find somewhere that's open 24-7 for anything, really. Even the grocery store down the street from me closes at midnight, which feels early. 
Yeah. Now, there are very few because now my grocery store also closed. Closes, I think, at midnight or so, uh, probably just to save money and to have fewer people wander around in there. Um, but you're right. This Denver just never has been a 24-7 economy like Las Vegas, like Los Angeles, New York City. Right. The big metro areas. We're growing pretty fast, but still, we haven't caught up in that regard yet. Exactly. It's, it def- it's definitely still a... Um big small city i guess would be the phrase for it but i think that's the best kind of city to be in so more delivery trucks are going to clog our roads and our bike lanes and our parking areas and that's just what's going to happen you know i think actually the swiss government has what they think is a perfect solution to the problem okay i will detail that for you coming up that's a good that was a good tease it was wasn't it it was or no no it was i just i (laughs) you wanted more it was yeah well, coming up, I think the Swiss government does have what they think could be a perfect solution to the problem. They want to go underground because that, that's a piece of cake, right? Just start digging tunnels. Uh, I have that story coming up also ahead. Imagine when you travel, you travel inside your hotel room from city to city. I'm not talking about like taking a cruise ship, which is great. I'm talking about something that could happen in the future. You have to say it like that when you say the future. That story and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Lufer with Denver 7, the morning show. Hey, watch us every morning, Monday through Friday, because, you know, I'm on it. Now, if I wasn't on the team, I would watch Denver 7 for the Jason Lisa bickering that they do every every morning they're like brother sister i love it it may as to the dynamic we're just a great team and it's people need to watch eric lufer only on denver 7 here's the deal and here is the deal this is the best newscast in denver and i'm not just being biased because we're on it but we've got everything you need every single morning we're fun yet we're informative and we get you out the door with what you need to know lisa hidalgo only on denver 7 Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast, where we want to wish you a very happy 4th of July weekend. And while we're at it, we want to uh, wish everybody a happy upcoming holidays, like Labor Day, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving Day, and Christmas. Why not? Those are the official federal holidays left for 2017, Joseph. Bring on Columbus Day, man. the uh, the Indians aren't very fond of it. I, I just like dressing up like a sailor. <laughs> I bet you do, big man. <laughs> By the way, did you know that Fourth of July is actually not only Independence Day, but it's also National Barbecued Spear Ribs Day and National Caesar Salad Day? Those foods just don't go together, do they? Not not simultaneously. Well, maybe Jul- in stages. July fifth, I found out is National Apple Turnover Day, so I think we should make the switch with Caesar Salad Day and put Apple Turnover Day on the fourth. And then the salad day on the 5th. I like it. I mean, I, you know what? I think I'm going to send a letter post-haste to my congressman and make sure this gets done. I'm on the verge of outrage right here. On the verge! Outrage! <laughs> National Fried Clam Day is on the 3rd. That, see, that would be a better day to match up with the Caesar salad deal. Maybe we should look at all the days and what's celebrated on those days and then shuffle things around so they're better paired together. Like... Like wine day on the same day as as, uh, cheese day. Okay. Italian Heritage Appreciation Day linked with Spumani Ice Cream Day. 
How about Build a Scarecrow Day on the same day as Postal Worker Day? I don't know. Maybe I should get a hobby. <laughs> what do you think? I think we got too many days, man. Oh, every every day has a day. I know. Well, and it gets difficult to track it. There is a website for that, nationaldaycalendar.com. I used to check that every day as a producer because we try to hit all these stupid yeah. holidays, and then you realize, like, there's a waste of time. Yeah, there's a lot of stupid holidays. Mm-hmm. National mm. Spare Ribs Day. When is there going to be a Hyperloop Day? Not soon enough. Because the Hyperloop, if it ever happens, it's going to make commerce, especially shipping truckloads of things full of things, things much more efficient. <laughs> the Hyperloop concept, if you didn't know, is it's being worked out by uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, where a pod-like vehicle would zoom through a reduced pressure tube uh, from city to city at like 700 miles an hour. Maybe 703, even. Denver to Boulder in, what, five minutes? Yeah. Right. Until that happens, one alternative that's being considered by the Swiss government is building a $3.4 billion underground cargo tube full of automated delivery carts. Carts. The plan is to dig a tunnel 150 feet below ground that would connect Zurich with other cities throughout that country. The tunnel would then connect to four above-ground way stations that would link the tunnel to a series of cargo transfer points and the eventual goal would see the network expanded to include other towns. This is what I was talking about, to help solve the problem, delivery problem there in, in Philadelphia. Okay. You just need underground tubes. That seems like a lot of infrastructure work, right? Yeah, of course Jeez. it is. Now, they say this tunnel would run on renewable energy and would have three lanes for autonomous electric power delivery pods, which would speed through these tunnels at 20 miles an hour. There would also be a separate monorail system that would whisk smaller packages at around 40 miles an hour. As a byproduct of the tunnel, the Swiss government would replace big trucks with smaller and more numerous autonomous vehicles, like little vans and cars and drones, that would make deliveries more frequently. For example, rather than getting like one big delivery at the beginning of the day, businesses could get a constant stream of goods throughout the day from these little delivery vehicles. And one reason they're looking at this plan is, apparently in Switzerland, they're expected to see the volume of their road traffic directly related to transportation of goods to increase by 45% in the next 15 years. That's a lot. It feels like Switzerland's living in the future, right, with a plan like that? You mean doesn't the that, future. Yeah, doesn't that seem like something straight out? Maybe not the Jetsons, but definitely the Flintstones. Well, kind of. We're, um, <laughs> I mean, that's why we're working on the, the whole uh, Hyperloop deal. Right. Well, at the moment, it looks like the entire project would be dependent on private financing, but as for the question of who will pay for it, that's anyone's guess, they say. I mean, $3.4 billion is a lot of money. And this isn't the first time we've heard of underground cargo plans. Elon Musk, his recent venture, the Boring Company, wants to dig tunnels under Los Angeles, uh, albeit to transport cars beneath the city, but it could be easily used to transport cargo around cities, too. I like the Hyperloop idea better that's uh, above ground. Uh, either way, the e- earliest we could expect to see the tunnel operational is 2030. And by then, Switzerland's national pastime could be sitting in traffic. Beautiful. And speaking of tunnels and the Hyperloop, now when you get out of town, usually you need to buy a few nights at a hotel, right? Well, Brandon Seabrick, he's a graduate architecture student at UNLV, and he wants to combine the hotel with the way you get out of town. So he's designed what he calls the Hyperloop Hotel. It's a system that would feature a transit system 
and 13 hotels in different cities throughout the United States. And the futuristic concept would eliminate the need to buy separate transit tickets and separate hotel rooms to get to the most largest cities in the United States. They want hotels in 13 locations, so they would put them in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Denver, Santa Fe, that's not one of the biggest cities, Austin, Chicago, Nashville, Washington, D.C., New York City, and Boston. I don't see Atlanta on this list or Miami. Well, maybe you can't go Look to Miami I, on a Hyperloop. I, I need to go on a completely separate tangent here. We need to stop covering graduate projects as though they're actual news in the news <laughs> industry. This guy is like 20 years old. He yeah. made up some system to get people from place to place and put hotels along the way. I mean, we have a highway system. I don't know if this guy's idea is really necessary or feasible. Again, he's 20 years old. And he went to UNLV, which means he can't possibly be one of the brightest bulbs in the box. He is the student winner of this year's Radical Innovation Award. He must be outstanding in his field. God, we're going to get hate mail from or this kid now. He probably has more Twitter followers than both of us combined. He, he probably does. You're right. <laughs> and he is a student winner. He's a winner. Everybody's a winner, Joseph. Beautiful. In June, a jury of seven hotel investors, developers, and architects selected this idea as one of the two finalists out of over 65 submissions from 24 countries. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the kid's got that going for him. For a flat fee of 1200 bucks, Hyperloop hotel guests would be able to zoom quickly between the network of cities, all while never leaving your hotel room. He hasn't estimated what each night would cost yet. Of course he hasn't. He said guests would be able to travel to any hotel destination within that network and even visit multiple destinations in a single day. So if you want to go, I guess, to, from Las Vegas to Portland to Seattle in one day in your Hyperloop hotel, I guess you could do that. This, this story is about to get so much better, audience. The size of the modular hotels, which Seabrick estimates would cost around uh, $10 million each to build. That's where we stop. $10 million <laughs> each? $10 million is what we're going to say is the cost of this project for of each hotel. one of the hotel rooms. Give me, give me a break. They're going to cost so much more than that at first. And you have to build an entire infrastructure network, which we have not at all talked about pricing. Well, of course. $10 million. It's not his money. He's just an idea guy, Joseph. And he won an award. (laughs) College kids are dumb, man. We don't know what the other 64 projects looked like. That's all I'm saying. He says hotels in dense cities would likely have smaller footprints than the ones in less dense areas. Guest suites would be made of repurposed shipping containers that would be outfitted for luxury. Each would include an office, a living room with a flat screen TV, a bedroom, and a bathroom, hopefully with a large enough commode to throw up in. Here are no, he says there are no concrete plans to build the first Hyperloop hotel yet. Since the technology and infrastructure it would require doesn't actually exist. But this kid believes construction of this hotel concept could be feasible Within the next five to ten years. This is going to be his business plan, Joseph. He's going to get rich off this. He is going to get rich off this. I I am not even going to dispute that. This guy's going to make a ton of money off this idea. I just, I mean, we're talking 50 years, maybe, before we see this thing get built, right? Like, potentially in my lifetime. Definitely not in your lifetime. But maybe in my lifetime. And staying in this thing is is a bit more expensive than staying in the Motel 6. Uh, but it's an interesting concept if it would work. But this is one reason this whole idea of like being in a hotel room that is then traveling from place to place is why I like cruising so much. Because you get into a hotel room, you unpack your bag once, 
and you're on this ship that will take you to these places where you get off and explore and do your thing, and you come back on to America, and you can wash off the ugliness, and then you go on your merry way to the next place with, with American water and American food. You don't have to drive, and I think that's the most important thing, right? I mean, you could see buses doing the same thing to a certain extent. The bus hotel? Yeah. Hmm. That's our idea right there. Right. We can just have a series of these shipping containers <laughs> on, on like, you know what they do, the, the triple tandem trucks, right? Yep. We can put three of them on the back of a truck, and we can drive you from here to Vegas. Love it. In 10 hours. For everybody who's ever wanted to sleep in a semi-truck, <laughs> have we got the opportunity for you. The company Quote Wizard just released a study where they compared the best and the worst drivers by state and ranked drivers in America's top 75 cities. Here's their methodology first. They sampled incident statistics from users of their website with over 2 million data points, they say, and this is from 2016. They looked at crashes, speeding tickets, DUIs, and other citations, and then ranked each city from worst to best. So this list contains 75 of the most populous city metro areas in the United States, and since they're ranked from worst to first, the lower city on this list, is the better the drivers are. So conversely, the cities with the higher ranking have the progressively worst drivers. So in other words, being high on this list is not a good thing. All right, so the worst city, according to the study from Quote Wizard, is Sacramento. Then number two is Salt Lake City, Riverside, Richmond, and San Diego. Denver comes in ninth. Let's see. Uh, Cleveland is 18th. Boston is 19th. Atlanta, 22nd. Phoenix, 24th. New Orleans, 29th. Kansas City, 31st. Colorado Springs is 39th. Pittsburgh, 41st. Let's see. Baltimore, 43rd. That's getting better and better. Dallas is 55th, which is a bit surprising. Philadelphia is 57th. El Paso, 64th. And then the best cities are Little Rock. Miami, Orlando, Providence. You would know about Providence or no? Uh, not to the extent that I would know about some of the other cities on this list. And the best, Detroit. That is really weird to hear that Detroit is the best. Yeah, Detroit. I think it's because no one wants to live there and so few people are driving there. The quote wizard people say that people there in Detroit have the most expensive insurance rates in the country. And maybe they're all just super scared of higher rates so they just drive better. But they say no, it's actually the high number of uninsured and unlicensed drivers in Detroit that uh, is one of the reasons they have such high insurance rates. Detroit has the lowest accident rate and the second lowest amount of speeding citations, according to their study. Detroit. That's crazy. I mean, Miami and Orlando are the surprises to me on that list. Miami is not, not a safe city to drive in. This is what they say about the number two city, Providence. America's second best drivers hail from the capital of the biggest little state in the union, Providence, Rhode Island. Providence drivers benefit from shockingly short driving distances. Residents consider any drive longer than 20 minutes to be a road trip. At 37 miles wide and 48 miles long, Rhode Island is delightfully short and skinny, much like Lisa Hidalgo. (laughs) Providence delivers many... (laughs) Providence drivers may suffer from perennial potholes... And one of the alleged least sexy accents in America. Do they? Do they have an accent? I've never noticed the accent. Connecticut, on the other hand. But no one can take away Providence's silver medal as the second best drivers in America with the lowest speeding ticket and traffic citation numbers on the list. 
Providence has earned their title. As for the bad, this is what they say about the worst drivers in America. Sacramento is the capital of California. They're also the capital of bad drivers. That's right, Sacramento. You've earned the dubious honor of being America's worst driving city. Sacramento finds itself in first due to the high rate of traffic citations in the country. They're also close to the top for accidents and DUIs at fourth. Perhaps Sacramentians, is that how you would call them? Sacramentoians? Should consider commuting... By boat on Sacramento's numerous waterways. Fortunately, Sacramento's sorry drivers can always take solace in the fact that they're not from SoCal. I, like, I've been there twice. I've drove through there once on my way to Auburn, California for a wedding. The other time I was with a girlfriend whose grandmother, I think it was, lived there. I don't recall those waterways. I don't recall the waterways either. I, what's wrong with SoCal? I love Southern California. Do you? And a lot more than I love Sacramento. Nobody likes Sacramento. Amen. Uh, This is what they say about the number two city, worst city on the list, Salt Lake City. Our data shows that Utah's most populated city is also home to America's second worst drivers. SLC's high ranking on the list is due primarily to lead feet. They have the second highest speeding ticket rate of all 75 cities. Salt Lake City's drivers are also racking up traffic citations at the fifth highest clip in the nation. As if Utah's peculiar, I can never say that word right, alcohol, can you say it? Peculiar. There you go. Alcohol regulations weren't bad enough. The people of Salt Lake City now have to live with the knowledge that they're some of America's worst drivers. Don't fret, SLC. Take solace in your beautiful landscape, copious shaved ice selection, and Utah's strong economy. They have a lot of shaved ice? Apparently they have a lot of shaved ice. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. So they also did this, uh, this uh, quote wizard deal. They also did uh, compared rival cities like New York versus Boston. They say New York's elitism can extend to driving. New York, at 36 worst, scores better than Boston at 19 worst. Boston's ranking was particularly impacted by high traffic citation frequency. Bostonians' bad driving, unfortunately, should not come as much of a surprise to locals. Bostonians can't be blamed for the bad driving. It's a poorly laid out city. I mean, it's it, it's very easy to get a traffic citation when everything's crammed in so close together. I'm, I'm just not a big fan of the way that Boston is laid out. Well, didn't they lay it out, I mean, like in the late 1600s? Well, that's just it. I mean, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier with Philadelphia, with some of these older, these cities with much older infrastructure. They weren't made for trucks, so naturally trucks aren't going to fit down certain streets. Portland versus Seattle. When it comes to driving, there's one clear winner. Portland, those 11th worst drivers, scores poorly on our rankings. Seattle, on the other hand, finds itself in the middle of the pack at 37. Portland drivers suffer from a high accident frequency. Seattle, on the other hand, overcame a higher than average DUI rate due to low accident rates. It looks like Portland is still stuck in second place. I don't know. I've been to Portland a couple of times, Seattle once. Is Portland overrated? It's okay. It's a lot like Denver. Okay. Except more hippie. Uh, and, and now, since they have pot, too, I don't know. I mean, it's... it's Probably a it's dead just, heat, right? Yeah, it's... Well, Denver is still a little bit more cosmopolitan, I would say. Okay. L.A. versus San Francisco. Los Angeles, the city with the worst traffic in the country, is not home to great drivers. In fact, according to our research, they're the sixth worst drivers in America. Their ranking is hurt by some of the highest accidents and DUI rates in the country. Well, as I would think you have so many cars there, you're going to have a higher accident rate just because of the volume of people and the number of crashes. Right, but Los Angeles is definitely like an Uber and Lyft city, too. I don't think you see a lot of Californians on the road out there unless they're making money for it. 
The Bay Area, with equally high DUI rates, is close behind in 13th place. The numbers are clear. Be careful when you're driving in California. Yeah, I can see that. Dallas versus Houston. I've heard horror stories about Houston driving, how long it takes and how bad the traffic is. Interesting. When it comes to uh, drive, you know, Jace Larson, he's, he was back over here. Where was he? Anyway, he came from Houston, his last city, and he said that the traffic is horrendous. When it comes to driving, they have more similarities than differences. Both cities are close to the best driving cities on the list. Houston is 60th worst, a tad better than Dallas's 56th worst. Dallas host Dallas lost to Houston due to higher accident frequency. It may be wishful thinking, but perhaps their driving similarities will bring both cities close together. Probably not. I mean, they're both pretty decent on this list, Dallas and Houston. Yeah, but I don't think the cities are anywhere close to being similar, are they? I I don't know enough about Texas. It's one of the few places in the country I've had no desire to visit. I've spent a night in the Houston airport, tried to sleep on their floor one time with a uh, cooler full of barbecue and Brunswick stew. But that's a different story. D.C. versus Baltimore. On the road, Baltimore did relatively well as the 43rd worst driving city. They performed admirably in every category except accidents, where they have the ninth highest rate in the country. D.C. didn't do so hot at 24th out of 75 due to high accidents and speeding citation rates. And D.C.'s terrible traffic is globally renowned. A new study says their gridlock is worse than Istanbul. Baltimore wins this one. You've been in D.C. traffic, right? Uh, yes. I think everybody's had to deal with it once or twice if they've been out on the East Coast. It's brutal. It is brutal. But then again, they have so many. It's like uh, any place with rivers. You only have so many places to cross a bridge, you know, cross the rivers. It's true. And their traffic, I found, it, we drew up through at 2 in the morning one time. There's nobody on the road. And D.C. is a totally different driving experience at 2 in the morning. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Memphis versus Nashville. While these neighbors have lots to disagree about, it seems that they're pretty similar when it comes to driving. Memphis ranks well at 52 out of 75, and Nashville isn't far behind at 44. Nashville's ranking is due in part to having the 25th highest traffic citation rate, while Memphis performed admirably in every category. All right. Elvis. Elvis. Uh, St. Louis versus Kansas City. Behind the wheel, Kansas City is decidedly average at 31st out of 75, and St. Louis is only marginally better as the 34th worst drivers. Kansas City graded well in every category except speeding. Their speeding citation rate is 7th highest on the list. Similarly, St. Louis has good rankings in every category except accidents, where they're the second most accident-prone city. Congratulations, KC and St. Louis. Y'all are remarkably average. I think some of, there, there's a common theme here. Most of the western cities with more space are having higher speeding uh, citations. Yes. I would say that's a problem here. I would also say crash rates here are pretty high, and I would say DUI rates here are pretty high. Well, De- Denver was ninth, right? Yep. Yeah, I think that's right where we belong. They didn't have any other you know firm details there from uh, the study about that, but... Quote Wizard, if you're wondering, describes themselves as an insurance comparison marketplace for consumers looking to save on insurance. Based in Seattle, Quote Wizard was founded in 2006. There you have it. That's it. Right there. That's your information. Love it. All right. Best drivers in Detroit. Place of my birth. One of the best things my parents ever did was move away from there. It's true. I still think, I, honestly, 
I still think they will give you a house if you promise to pay the property tax in Detroit. There's something like that. I can't speak to Detroit. All I know is what I've seen on the news. It's not good. S- stay out of Flint. Stay. Okay. <laughs> don't know. You mean don't drink the water in Flint. Exactly. Drive right out of Michigan and head to Canada? Uh, Toronto, right? Right over the bridge from Detroit. Windsor. Windsor. Windsor is on the other side in Ontario, and then you have to drive. Uh, Toronto is closer to Buffalo. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these cities shift around over the next 10 years, 15 years, which ones stay heavily populated and which ones experience some of that brain drain where people are moving out to other places. Detroit is trying to come back, but... Well, Philadelphia, too, I think, to some extent. A lot of those East Coast cities, I'd put Hartford on that list as well, where you're seeing a lot of population migration away. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway... Well, that about does it for this edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. We have all kinds of good stuff coming up after the 4th of July holiday, so I hope everybody has a very safe, happy 4th of July weekend and holiday, and it's always a high holiday for a lot of DUIs and crashes and highway deaths. And so we want all our eight listeners to to be safe and not crash and not die. Don't blow your hands off of those fireworks. (laughs) No, there was this kid that growing up, he would throw firecrackers at our feet. That's, it's the same kid who would grab the branches of the uh, pine trees and then you'd whack your back with it. So you have these little pine needle marks all over your skin. Same Every, guy. Everybody knows one of those guys, right? Oh, yeah. We knew that guy. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks again for listening. And have a great holiday weekend. Until next time, I'm the traffic guy, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.